listeners, this is Beatrix, uh, your Trailblazing Justice uh, podcast producer. I'm also the Communications and Policy Associate at Oregon Justice Resource Center. This summer, we are um, highlighting our series called Stop Tear Gas Lighting Us as we remember the George Floyd protests of 2020 as we are reaching the two-year anniversary mark. We will be interviewing protesters and those who are involved um, in the Portland protests to be sharing their experiences. And as the, the name of this series is called Stop Tear Gaslighting Us, we will be talking about... Um, the protesters facing tear gas, impact munitions, um, injuries with uh, the trauma that has um, come out of those protests from the police violence that we have seen. Um, But we will also be talking about post summer of 2020. And we've seen a lot of gaslighting going on where it seems like we live in a world where the people in power are pretending like it didn't exist, um, which is the definition of gaslighting. So uh, we hope you'll um, you'll join us as we interview protesters, um, and we will be uh, having a lot of public education as well as remembering on our social media. So hope you follow us there at OJRC uh, OJR Center. That's our tag. Thanks so much, y'all. You want to tell us who you are? My name is Max Smith. Um, yeah, I'm a dad. <laughs> okay, so we'll just ask you some questions about the 2020 protests. Um, we're doing the two-year mark um, in about a month. Um, so why did you first join the protests? I joined the protests um, somewhat reluctantly. Um, after some of the youth who were organizing asked me to come out and help them with security and uh, just looking out. So that's, so I kind of stepped in as a, uh, as doing a security, um, just to make sure that the, that the young folks were safe uh, during their marches. Uh, they were running up into a lot of opposition um, and threats, and so I wanted to, to, to be there to keep an eye on, on folks. Yeah. Um, and... I know it's been two years, but what do you remember most about the protests in Portland? Um, tear gas and violence would probably be the number one thing that I'd call. Um, there was lots of tear gas, lots of violence. Tear gas and violence. That's looking good, though. Um, and can you describe your experience on the ground as a protester? You said tear gas, violence. <laughs> Yeah, my experience on the ground as a protester was very varied. Um, I was also out there for a long time, so close to uh, cl- close to six months, I spent out there almost every day. Um, I feel like my time was really spent talking to people and trying to come to understandings with people to understand uh, where they were and what they wanted and how we could accomplish those things. Hmm. Um, also spend a lot of time facing down guns and of of, of white supremacists and, and police and feds, um, and also d- 
did a lot of medic work, just making sure that people were safe and uh, just making sure that people didn't get injured or hurt, or if they were injured or hurt, getting them to safety. Mm-hmm. Also, I spent some time being taken to safety <laughs> after being injured and hurt. So um, mm-hmm. the time was definitely like a traumatic time, I think, more than anything. But um, it was spent in a, a variety of ways, for sure. Yeah. When you were talking to people, what did you hear? I know there's a range of things. Yeah, um, early on, it changed over time. Huh. Early on, it was a lot of people talking about... I, I mostly in the beginning talked to people of color, mm-hmm. uh, uh, black people really specifically. And most of what we talked about was about how to get free, how to change the conditions that we live in, how to change the conditions of the city and how it treats us, um, how it's treated our parents, how it treats our children, yeah. in, from schools to you know to hospitals to, to the policing system and the jail system and uh, the police, police, police. Um, yeah. But as times changed, we started talking about the, the role of the federal government, um, mm-hmm. political overreach, Donald Trump, mm-hmm. um, a lot of Trump talk. Mm-hmm. Um, and then mm-hmm. as times went even further, we got to talking about, you know, Biden and the politics and do we support this? Do we want the Democrats, you know, to do the same thing as Republicans and these kind of things? And as time continued to go on, it became talking about, does it make sense to destroy these things? Does it make sense to burn this building down? Does it make sense to not burn this building down? Does it make sense to be fighting each other? Um, and that's about the time I kind of stepped away yeah. from a lot of the groundwork. Mm. Uh, you hit on it um, a bit, but what would you see has... Like, what is the landscape since the protests in 2020? What does it look like politically? What are you hearing in the community? It really depends on on where you ask. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Um, But I think that, broadly speaking, the time since the protests has allowed for more radical um, thought and action to be mainstreamed. Hmm. Um, Discussions about defunding police are real now. Mm-hmm. Um, discussions about disbanding police departments are real now. Discussions about um, over th- you know, overturning uh, like a qualified immunity and mm-hmm. disbanding the union and ways to do that, um, tactics to do that, you know, like politically, are really in play, mm-hmm. where before those were kind of like fringe ideas. So I think that the, um, I think I also think that there's a lot of a backlash that occurred from that, especially against black people who organized and whatnot, um, mm. being attacked by oftentimes people on our own side yeah. for not doing things in, you know, in retrospect the way that they would have done things if they had had the capability to be there in the first place. So there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of fracturing, I think, on the left side of the politics, mm. but also the thoughts that we generated and the ideas that we generated in that time have exploded out of a, out of the left and are now existing in different in, in different in different circles. Mm. What do you think needs to happen to achieve um, the goals of defunding, dismantling? This I think, is a selfish question. No, it's fine. <laughs> it's good. I think that um, when it comes to achieving goals of defunding um, or any of that, what really becomes important is that we have to understand why we're doing it, where we're doing it and if it makes sense for the population that's involved. Mm. Um, here in Portland, I definitely support defunding. I think that politically it may, it's, it's more discussed now, but I'm not sure it's, it's any more 
uh, realistic. We've made some changes to things like the timing of the contracts, hmm. the, the a union contract I should, I should specify, and things like that. So that's not happening before the mayors are elected anymore and basically running out the clock. So there are some angles in which uh, we can actually make changes politically, but it really requires consistent education and people not just returning to the idea that we can just go back to normal mm. or that um, we just need to, to uh, like uh, throw money at the uh, police department to alleviate uh, some of the issues that we're seeing mm. um, as a result really of, of the COVID and the, you know, in the, mm-hmm. in the, in the uh, really like, I don't know if you, I wouldn't call it like a depression, but what do you call it? A uh, recession mm. yeah. that we're kind of silently going through. So yeah, there's a lot of of of, of like of, of uh, financial mm-hmm. and 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 aesthetic issues that are super important to a group in Portland to certain groups in Portland, but there's also still a lot of violence um, from the poli- you know danger from the police and from their uh, establishment mm-hmm. that I think a lot of people are still very uh, uh, eager to fight, but I think that it comes down to finding a way to fight the fight without uh, isolating and siloing mm-hmm. ourselves. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Um, so this is uh, going back to protests. Uh, what would you want people to know about Portland protesters? It depends which one. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so how about like um, people from other cities and the headlines that they see, yeah. Antifa, you know, yeah. Anarchist, what would you say? I would say that when it comes to any group of people, you're always going to have a variety of types of people. You're going to have people who are extremely aggressive, people who are extremely passive, people who listen, people who don't listen, people who break things, people who don't break things. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to protesting in Portland, um, that's always what it's been. I remember going to protests in 2001 ish for the WTO protest mm. the World Trade or you know and um and uh yeah there's always been a level of mischief and a levels of you know seriousness and speeches and these things you're going to get the same thing wherever you go um one thing i would say is that in portland though the, the protesters whoever is is, is is protesting even on the other side of the aisle um they're always passionate about it yeah. when folks uh, uh, like a protest here in Portland they expect conflict they expect attention mm-hmm. and um, if, if they're not getting them they'll escalate until they do mm-hmm. so I think that's the thing about the Portland if, if you plan to you know be a part of the protest be, uh, be prepared because mm-hmm. these mm-hmm. police and things they will have your worst nightmares be- become realities and that can change you yeah yeah um, so we saw in Portland over a hundred um, days of sustained protests, um, and Portland became kind of this national lightning rod, like anarchist jurisdiction. Mm-hmm. What do you see as like? Uh, let me frame it in a different way. Um, what do you feel like made Portland unique, and like, what do you feel like sustained those protests compared to other cities that saw kind of more flurries of? I'm not sure what if I would necessarily even consider Portland's experience as unique. Mm. Um, I think it was very similar in a lot of other cities around mm. the country. I think what made us a little bit different was um, 
that there were for me the different here was the response hmm. to be a thousand percent honest the response um, the response of the feds the response of um, the police the aggressiveness in which Donald Trump attacked our country attacked yeah. our city yeah um, Chad Wolf you know those things didn't happen really anywhere else mm. um, there were definitely some National Guard calls and things like that I know in DC and Chicago I think and, and, and Minneapolis but I don't think any other city dealt with a federal force attacking um, you know with hmm. with weapons of war um, against civilians and I think that was um, a very uh, a very uh, what, do, what would be the word a calcifying um, experience for a lot of people because again their worst nightmares came true yeah. Um, the idea that the federal government would come down, be on TV talking trash about us, and be like attacking us in the streets with uh, billy clubs and 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 and, uh, and flashbangs and you know uh, rubber bullets and hard cap you know uh, paintballs and you know actual guns and kidnap vans, those that was a lot. Yeah. That was a, a whole lot, and um, I don't think that anyone else necessarily dealt with the same level of abuse that we dealt with. They said that. Portland police had over 6,000 uses, uses of force, force mm-hmm. you know, in, in a few months. Yeah. <laughs> um, that, and that was just like, I think I, was, I just made it August. You know, that doesn't count the times that we were out, you know, in November, December, getting piled on and jumped on by, you know, the Portland police. It doesn't even include the force that the feds used. Yeah. So um, that amount of wanton violence, as well as having, you know, a police union that was unapologetic for the violence and supportive, in fact, of quelling um, the will of the people. I think that's really what made us different. Also, mm. of all the cities that protested, Portland is probably the whitest. Mm-hmm. And um, mm. if there's anything that white folks don't like, it's, you know, a federal overreach. So <laughs> I feel, you know, so I feel like... Um, and the history of, like, the anti-fascist movements here. I right, right. That that, had... I mean, that whole thing. I mean, and again, I think that also exists in Seattle. That also exists in L.A. Perhaps it's not as pronounced because Portland's a smaller city. Yeah. Um, but um, they're still marching in L.A. and stuff, too, you mm. know, still. But um, it was just different here because it, it felt like it was, it felt like in the media yeah. it, it, that it had taken over the entire mm. city. That wasn't the reality, but it definitely was being shipped that way yeah okay lastly um so for people who aren't you know so much hitting the streets what does protest look like to you now does can it be in different forms I would, what leads to change I, mean, I would go as far as to say that right now i feel there's an effort um to get people back in the streets mm-hmm. and i don't feel like it's an effort necessarily just by the protesters i think it's actually an effort by the opposition hmm. and um I feel like there is a, there is a there is a, a push to increase the conflict between people and create more division. One thing that definitely occurred through the protests, as we spoke about a little bit earlier, was that um, all of the trauma, all of the violence, all of the sh- stress caused a lot of people on the left to become distrustful of even each other, yeah, and of really of everything. And um, as we've as we're now almost two years away. From from the start of that, um, I think that people have found other ways to do work. People are doing organization w- work, 
people are, are, are building out systems that aren't necessarily a part of yeah. you know, the city system or the government system. People are, are working on ways to fund and grow food and prepare for mm. whatever is coming next in different ways as opposed to just spending their time marching around. And I think that there is, that there is definitely an effort um, in some of the uglier things I see to try and make people angry enough to get back in the streets where they're actually perhaps less effective mm. in, um, in, in, in like organizing. Mm-hmm. Um, in real organizing, not just march organizing, but organizing, you know, for politics and for change. And at the same time, you see that the right is extremely organized at this time, and they're working very hard. I mean, they're also being convicted for like January sixth stuff like that. But they're, but they're, but the um, the uh, middle right mm-hmm. is really uh, uh, pumping their uh, their chests right now. They're really attacking the funding. They're really attacking the concepts. They're they're uh, blaming the protests and and liberal action, even for um, for the crime in the city. They're they're running a playbook that we've seen in countless uh, cities across the world um, for decades, if not centuries. So um, you know, being able to find a bad guy to point to a boogeyman, mm-hmm. to um, you know, be afraid of Antifa or whatever. A lot of that does push their electoral politics, which are really important at the moment. Mm. Um, and also, you know, there's also a fringe element that believes that like electoral politics don't matter. So, and it's on yeah. the left. So, yeah. um, activating those people, getting the, the people who are, are most likely to be on the streets and f- fighting against everything, mm-hmm. um, I feel like some of that's kind of uh, tactical mm. on the, you know, on the behalf of the, uh, of the centrists and moderates. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I mean, um, this is probably, (laughs) but I mean, I'm thinking of how, like in South Africa, like, um, when they're, um, ending apartheid, even though they have problems Mm -hmm. still, um, like they, uh, Nelson Mandela and like Desmond Tutu, like though they were very public, Mm -hmm. a lot of the time that they spent was with young people and like in living rooms, like Mm -hmm. they were sitting in circles Mm -hmm talking <laughs> anytime that you look at we need to build community hist- right and what portland's right. missing right it's and just twitter anonymous twitter accounts right and, and again <laughs> i think that covid was a big part of that because mm. covid kept a lot of us out of small spaces um and we were really and it was great to, to a degree because in the protest we were able to, to to talk in the streets we were able to learn and teach literally in the streets that's what i did i spent yeah. time in the streets trying to learn and teach um explain and you know and whatnot but um Hmm. You know, there's a lot of people, uh, folks that would rather just, you know, create memes and 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 and, and troll and, and troll each other yeah. and bully and um, and, that's stalk. Not, and, just, and stalk <laughs> and that's not organizing. That's um that's something else. That's not organizing though. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This has been Trailblazing Justice. I'm Beatrix, and we will see you next time for our special episodes on stop here gaslighting us where we will be interviewing protesters from the George Floyd 2020 protests.